Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Thankful for the greater one. Hallelujah. Go with me, if you will, to um, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you will. If you happen to miss uh, this past Wednesday, we had Pastor Roddy Schaefer in the house from Fort Walton Beach. Amen. Did an amazing job ministering and stirring us up toward evangelism, toward reaching our community. And, um, you know, it's important that we stay mindful of what the role of the church is and how we can positively impact and influence the world around us. And, um, you know, many people over the years have taken the role of the church and misplaced it, misunderstood it. Um, And we have aligned our services more with trying to reach the lost, trying to win the lost. And in doing so, we have watered down things. We have compromised things. We have missed the major emphasis and the effect of what the local church is to do. And the local church uh, is designed, uh, these church communities, if you will, these church events, uh, because you know church isn't an event, right? You know church isn't a place, right? You know church isn't a building, right? I mean, you tell me all the time, church isn't a building, church isn't a place. No, it's a people. But the reason why we come to a church service is to become educated and to make Uh, our minds more aware of who we are. It's to learn. This is really an education type environment, to be honest with you. And so this is not a place uh, where the lost will be won. That, that That will not be our primary emphasis in these services. We will see people come to the Lord. We do altar calls and we ask people to make Jesus Lord of their life. We've seen several. We've seen many over the last several weeks with that sort of response and, 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 uh, be brought to that. But the way that the church is to win the lost is by going out to the world. You know, Pastor Roddy makes the statement, I don't see any verses that tell uh, the world to come to church. But I do know of a verse that says the church is supposed to go ye into all the world. Amen. And so we've got to get the emphasis correct because if we don't, then we will stay within our four walls and we'll stay within these confines here and think that this is the the majority of what the church is to do. And we find ourselves just attending services and just filling our minds um, and thinking that everything's supposed to be taking place here. And then when we walk out the doors, we're no different and we're not making any greater impact on the community around us. Can I get an amen? So we need to uh, stay missional in what we are to do in here without compromising our efforts here. Uh, But that also means that we will be encouraged and uh, equipped to go into the world being disciples and making disciples. Now, you know that making disciples is a lot different than making converts. We, We understand the difference, right? We understand that we're not just taking a tally 
and uh, soul winning for the sake of collecting numbers. We are making disciples. And you understand making disciples is a lifelong commitment. Making a convert is an event, but making a disciple, that's a commitment. You personally will only disciple a handful of people in your life. Literally disciple. Walk with them day to day. And so it is to be disciples making disciples. That is how this thing is supposed to work. And so we have to have a a mindset of what are we doing when we go away from here? Because I'll be honest, you're going to witness to way many more people uh, this week than I am today. At least you ought to be. Your numbers should greatly outnumber my numbers. Let's say we have, I don't know, 150 people in the room. I don't know. I'm just taking a guess. I know how many chairs are in this room. And so let's say there's, you know, 150 people in this room. Let's say every one of you makes one contact this week, discipling someone, praying with someone, uh, bringing the kingdom to someone. We've just greatly, exponentially magnified our efforts. But if you remain, it, it, the 150 that I minister to on a Sunday should not stay the 150 through until next Sunday. Does that make sense? And so I, I'm, I'm counting on you. I'm relying on you as a pastor. Five-fold ministry gifts are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so the equipping is happening in here so that when we go from here, now, of course, that doesn't resolve me, absolve me from going out and being a witness myself, obviously. But the pastor, the apostle, the the teacher, the prophet, the evangelist are given for the equipping of the saints. God knows what he's doing. He's got a great strategy. He's got a great system. And if we would just follow his system, it works. It absolutely works. But when we try to redefine things and when we try to adapt things down to to our standards or what we think it should be or what we think people are capable of doing or have a capacity to do, then we miss out on the power of the local church and the power of what this mission can do. Amen? And so um, I encourage you to, uh, you know, walk with us as we have been going, you know, these last several weeks. Um... Because at the end of the day, if we don't understand the word of God and if we don't understand his principles and his plans in light of the kingdom of God, then we're going to become religious. We're going to reduce the word. Um, We're going to include things that he never meant to include. And we're going to miss out on things that he meant for us to uh, be a part of and have a part of our lives. And so we are taking time to redefine these things. And let me go back to Pastor Roddy real quick. Uh, because as he mentioned on Wednesday night, we are going to be uh, doing a community outreach. He's coming with his team. Um, those of you that weren't here, give you a brief recap that uh, he, he has launched over the last several years uh, a heart for evangelism. He has a heart for evangelism. He's done evangelism for years, and now he's obviously pastoring, but his heart for evangelism is that go into communities, you preach the gospel, you, you, you give things away, you invite families, you have a lot of fun, you preach the gospel, you win the loss, and you heal the sick, and you deliver people. He's got it all. <clears throat> so we are going to be doing one of his outreaches. We're going to be partnering with one of his outreaches right here in 
Valdosta, Georgia. The date is May 20th. We'll have much more information um, hopefully by next Sunday because right now we're trying to nail down the exact location. We've got, uh, I think we've got it nailed down to two different locations, but there are a couple of hiccups with each one that we're going to have to work through to really make it work the way we need to. And I've got to get in touch with Pastor Roddy, and um, I'm actually getting ready to minister at the Kingdom Rise Conference in St. Augustine, Florida. How many, anybody here going to be down there for that? There's some hands. All right. Awesome. So um, really excited that y'all will be able to come down with us. I'll be there, and he'll be ministering there as well. And so him and I will discuss and hopefully nail down one of the two locations. But uh, it's going to be right in the middle of town. It's going to be visible to everyone. We're going to blitz the town, of course, uh, leading up to that and get the word out, inviting. Uh, I want you all inviting. And then that day, of course, we're going to need a lot of participation. We're going to need all hands on deck uh, to uh, bring in the harvest. Amen. He's, He's believing for a thousand souls. That'd be the biggest one that he's done, and I believe we can do it. We'd also be one of the biggest towns he's ever done it in, by the way. So, um, you know, we're believing for big things. We were driving around uh, Wednesday, but you know, he ministered Wednesday night. Wednesday during the day, he was driving around with me, and uh, we were scouting areas and um, just talking about the community, talking about the needs, um, talking about what he sees, uh, because when he does these things, he's highly invested. He's not coming in uh, just to blow in, blow up, and blow out. He prays into this thing. His team prays into this thing. They are highly engaged and highly invested in in this event. And so um, we were just driving around, just talking about what we expect the Lord to do. And he just, you know, I just feel a thousand souls. I just feel that. So that means, you know, that's, that's a pretty good group, especially when, you know, I think one of his largest ones was around 600 Um, so, you know, that would definitely be one of the biggest ones. So we are going to make it a big deal and uh, we want you to make it a big deal with us and we'll have more information to share. But May 20th, go ahead and mark that date on your calendar that Saturday. And, um, it's going to be a great day winning our city. Amen. All right. Second Timothy chapter four. I believe that's where I sent you. And, um, very important that we understand the, the role of the word through the lens of the kingdom. In verse 1, he says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Verse 2 says, preach the word. Everyone say the word. Preach the word. You know, it's, it's interesting that he even had to admonish Timothy in that. It's interesting that he even had to encourage him to preach the word. And this is a, a, a letter, of course, as you know, Paul is on his way out and Timothy's on his way in. So Paul is giving him transitional words. These are the most important things I need you to highlight. These are the most important things I need you to be aware of as you're entering into ministry and as you're getting ready to take over this church and as you're really, as you are preparing yourself to carry on the mission, he knows that his time is drawing near. He says in this chapter, my life has been poured out as a drink offering. I have fought the good fight. I ran the race. I ran my course. I kept the faith, right? And so now he's encouraging Timothy with some words of enduring. 
some, some words of persevering, some words of, hey, I need you to carry this thing on. And one of the great admonishments that he gives him is to preach the word. It goes on to say, be ready in season and out of season. He says to convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. He says, preach the word, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Be ready in season and out of season means when it's accepted and when it's not accepted. Notice that the preaching of the word is not determined by the receptivity of the audience. Preaching of the word is not determined by, well, it's not really what they want to hear. Preaching of the word is not determined, well, it just doesn't seem that they're really connecting with it or relating to it. No, he says, preach the word. The admonishment is stay with the word. He's saying this because as we see and as we have seen as the day draws near, there's more and more uh, of a challenge to remain with the word. The challenge today in, in a lot of ministries and in a lot of churches and with a lot of ministers is just sticking with the authenticity of the word in its simplest, rawest form. He's saying uphold a value and a standard for the word of God. This word is what you are to be ministering. This word is what will save people. This word is what will redeem people. This word is what will save a marriage. This word is what will heal your body. This word is what will comfort you in times of suffering. This word is what will create a foundation of morality for you. This word is what will work in your life to produce the results of the kingdom of God. He says, preach the word. And then the very next statement is, stay with it, regardless of whether they want it or not. <laughs> That's an admonishment because it is so easy to bow to the agendas and bow to the ideas and bow to the opinions. We said last week that your allegiance should never be greater to your opinion than it is to the word. But it's amazing how we exalt our opinions. It's amazing how we exalt our ideas. It's amazing how we will quickly uh, exalt even just a, a small, simple diversion off of what the word of God says. We've said this before that the enemy doesn't get us to just take, you know, hard you know, exits away from the word of God. He slowly infiltrates and cunningly, deceptively laces truth with lies, unbelief, something that is completely contrary. And, and if you do that long enough over time, it, it's, it's small incremental measures of diversion, but over time you end up so veered off and so far away from what the authentic really was, from its original intent and its original purpose. I actually had this, I just was reminded of this, this statement that had come to me. The constant ongoing challenge is to keep the word of God in its purest, most authentic form. That's the challenge today. 
Truth is a moving target today. Keeping it in place, keeping it in line, protecting and valuing the standard by which the manufacturer created. You know that a manufacturer is the one that creates the or defines the purpose, defines the function, defines the role, and we don't get to come alongside and change the function and the role of what the manufacturer has created. This is God's word. You know, I also find it interesting that he still holds us accountable to his word, even though we can so easily mess it up. And yet we're still, he says that he's going to judge the living and the dead at his appearing and at his kingdom. That even, you know, we're not going to be able to stand with him and say, well, there was, there was so much truth out there. There were so many people saying this is the truth and this is the truth. There are so many versions There's so many iterations. I mean, how am I supposed to? Apparently, there is a way to know what the raw, authentic word is. And we're not going to be able to stand before Jesus with our idea of truth, our opinion of truth. He's going to want to know, did you stay with my truth? The challenge The ongoing challenge, the constant challenge is keeping the word of God in its purest, most authentic form. The only way to do this, hear me on this, the only way to maintain the authenticity of the word, its original intent, is with a kingdom lens and perspective. Anybody that has heard the kingdom message and grabbed a hold of the kingdom message, it has made everything clearer it makes everything make sense everything the questions that i had before my eyes were open to the kingdom revelation to understanding the word of god not as a religion not as a christianity not as a a a, a way of living or just a, some mere belief system that is right on target with uh you know Buddhism, Muslim, Islam, uh, you know, whatever you want to, whatever other religions are out there. Some people have made Jesus a a religious figure no different than Buddha and Muhammad. No different. We've reduced him to that level. No, he's a king. I said he's a king. And he rules over a kingdom. And when you start understanding the word of God in a kingdom perspective... You start understanding that Jesus didn't come to introduce a religion. He came to restore a kingdom, a kingdom back to the earth, a way of governing his people and a way for his citizens to align with his plan and his mission. When you understand that, when you understand kingdom concepts and a kingdom lens and a kingdom perspective, everything starts falling into place. It's amazing. Even the Old Testament will make sense. Even Leviticus will make sense. Even the hard ones that you're like, I'm just going to skip past that one. Even the genealogies make sense. I started reading the genealogies different when I understand the kingdom of God. You start understanding blood. You start understanding generations. You start understanding handing something from one to the next. Everything starts making sense. Jesus was born into a royal bloodline. 
Oh my gosh, you can trace it all the way back to Adam, all the way back to Abraham, all the way back to Moses. You just follow this thing. I mean, it excites you. It's through the kingdom lens. It's through the kingdom perspective. Any other lens skews and dilutes the message, compromising its integrity and impact. Any other message, any other lens skews and dilutes the message, compromising its integrity and impact. So with that, it's important to as we have been doing, all these different principles and all these different elements, view them through the lens of the kingdom. And that's what we are taking time to do throughout this series. And last week I began on the subject of the word of God, viewing his word through a kingdom lens. And uh, that was a powerful message that I didn't get to conclude. So I want to conclude it today, give you the second half, if you will, of um understanding the word of God through the lens of the kingdom. So I want to give you the five roles. We wrapped up here, and uh, I want to give you these again, the five roles of the word of God. The five roles of the word of God, again, through the kingdom lens. The, the word of God has many roles. The word of God has many, uh, you know, values in the life of the believer. But in the kingdom uh, there are five roles that I want to highlight today that help us understand, I believe, the word a little better and its intended purpose. Number one, we said that his word is his law. The number one role of the word of God is it is the law. There is no nation on this planet that can operate without laws in place. And, you know, if you really think about it, laws governed almost little, I mean, every single little detail of our lives. There's a law in place somewhere, some, some sort of rule, some sort of command, some sort of instruction, some sort of, uh, uh, you know, guideline, if you will, to follow. I mean, there's, I mean, even to host this event, I've got to... Uh, I've got to have a certain insurance policy if we're going to be doing an event that a community is going to become because there are laws governing if something were to happen at this event, who's liable? Laws are, are integrated in every single aspect of our lives. And when a nation becomes lawless, it does not become more free. <laughs> This is the deception of the enemy that he thinks lawlessness is freedom. No, you just deteriorate. You become depraved. And before you know it, you'll start creating your own laws because you know I've got to have a law somewhere. See, we are challenging and questioning laws today in our society and in our country. You know, this type of message is difficult for Americans to hear, but we are a law-abiding country. And there are certain things that we enjoy and certain benefits that we enjoy that are privileges of law-abiding citizens. Yet our country is founded on freedoms. We love the word freedom. We have an independence day. 
Independence Day. We have a whole day celebrating freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from tyranny. Freedom from a, a, a government that was restricting us and keeping us from being able to worship as we pleased. It was over religious freedoms was the whole reason why this country, where people came to this territory and founded this country. But that doesn't mean that we are free to do whatever we want. It's amazing that the individuals that established this country established it with laws. And they made the word of God initially as the foundation of the law making, of the law, of the laws that we create. We're going to use the word of God as a foundation. If he says don't murder, don't murder. If he says don't steal, don't steal, right? We have to be, we have to recognize that we are as a nation a law-abiding country. Well, so is the kingdom of God. And freedom in Christ is not, I do as I please. Freedom in Christ is not, I can do whatever I want because of his grace and because of his mercy. No, the laws are, are instituted as boundaries and as guidelines to protect us. So here's what we understand about laws. Number one, the word of the king is the law of the land. I'm going to do a little more teaching. We've been teaching over the last several weeks, and this one will seem a little more teachy, if you will, because these are concepts that we need to understand. Number one, the word of the king is the law of the land. As God speaks, he's instituting laws. It is his law. If it's his word, it's his law. Number two, laws are established to reveal the heart of the king toward the kingdom and his citizens. I'll say that again. Laws are established to reveal the heart of the king. When you see in a kingdom, when you see a law in place, you're seeing, you're, you're being, you're, it's an opportunity to view, peer into the heart of the king. This is what's important to him. This is what he values. He establishes a law because in my heart, this is how I feel toward my kingdom and toward my people. And so this is what we know. Laws are always given with the best interest of the citizen in mind. I'll say that again. Laws are always given with the best interest of the citizen in mind. Now, we struggle with that statement, don't we? Because in man-made governments, laws usually, they might start out with the best interest of the citizen, but in man-made feudal systems, nations, countries, governments, laws end up benefiting the lawmaker more than the citizens. They start creating laws that protect them. But we serve a perfect king. I said, we serve a perfect king. That's an amen opportunity. We serve a perfect God. We serve a loving father. We serve a good, good father. We serve a father that knows what you need and knows what you don't need. He's got it all lined out. And so when he institutes a law, you know it's for my protection. It's for my benefit. It's for my gain. So when he says, of all the trees in the garden you may eat, but 
of the one tree of knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat it lest you die. He's instituting that for their benefit, not to restrict them, not to limit them, but immediately, we know, we saw it last week, the enemy comes and he says, did God surely, and he immediately flips the intent of the law into, he's withholding something from you. He instituted that law, that rule, that boundary to keep something from you. He's hiding something. And all of a sudden, he challenged the intent of the lawmaker and challenged the law. See, when you challenge the law, you challenge the lawmaker. When you question the intent of the law, you are challenging the intent of the one making and incorporating and instituting the law. When you challenge God's word, you challenge God himself. See, this is why David, when he showed up on the battlefield, he said, hold on, wait a minute. Who's this one that defies the armies of the Lord? Like, I ain't taking this personal, but you got a bigger man to deal with over here. Because when you challenge God's word, you challenge God himself. Come on, you know this even for yourself. When someone doesn't believe you, or when someone twists something you say, or when someone challenges what you say, you take it, you feel a little personal, like, Am I a liar? Are you calling me a liar? Are you saying I didn't say that? Are you saying I wouldn't do that? It's a challenge of your character. It's a challenge of your nature. But we know we serve a God that has a perfect nature. And so by instituting laws, he's not keeping something from us. He's not withholding something from us. No, his word is his law and it reveals his heart. When we honor the law, it ensures our operation within the kingdom. See, this is the thing, is laws keep us from accepting and normalizing things that go against the heart of the Father. When we honor the law, we are now able to function and abide within his system and in his plan perfectly. When I get outside of his law, I begin to accept, tolerate, and normalize things that are not in the heart of the Father. And now I can't receive the full benefit of the kingdom because I'm trying to mix his benefits with my rules. And I don't get his blessing by following my plan. I get his blessing by following his plan. The benefits come, the benefits follow, the protection. We do this in our own country and we don't bat an eye at it, guys. If you break the law, certain uh, freedoms are now restricted from you, taken from you. Even the point of putting in, being put into an institution that will watch over you and keep you disallow you from operating as other law-abiding citizens. They're called jails and prisons. We have this in our own country. Breaking the law. Now, in the garden, breaking the law, it cost quickly, didn't it? 
It's like my pastor, Pastor Earl, always says. If, 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 if the punishment to breaking the law came as quickly as it did in the garden, I don't know if we would keep breaking the law. As quick as, as we, we, we overextend our mercy and our grace, right? We think mercy and grace is God saying, ah, it's okay. If he did that, then he wouldn't value his laws. Mercy is just delayed punishment. It means I'm putting this off and giving you time to repent, to respond appropriately, but there is a time without repentance. And we already covered repentance. You can go back several weeks and find that, kingdom repentance. Not repentance in America. I'm sorry, boo-hoo, crying, come to the altar and go back to doing what you were doing. Repentance is a complete turning away from and shifting my perspective to say, that's the way heaven wants it done, that's how we're gonna do it. That's repentance. That's repentance. And so, we think that God, you know, I, I, I've, I've said this before, if, if we parented the way we think God parents, we would be locked up and put in jail for child abuse, for neglect and abandonment. If we overlook things the way we think God overlooks things or allowed things with our children the way we think God allows things with his children, it wouldn't work. No, the expectation is God honors his law. God values his law, and we should too. So laws keep us from accepting or normalizing what is not in the heart of the Father. And the essence, the essence is this, God, if it's valued by you, I want, it, I want to value it. If it's important to you, it's important to me. If that's the way you see it, that's the way I see it. It's coming into alignment. And his laws are made clear. His laws are made clear. Now, this is what we need to touch on. When a law, uh, 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 let's, put it, let's, let's put it this way. God never intended us to be ruled by a written law. I just said that the law reveals the heart of the Father. And God's original plan and God's original purpose in the garden, there was no Bible, there was no book, there was no, uh, go, go over here to Leviticus chapter 23, verse 9, and you'll see in there what, no, it was, I know the heart of the Father so well that I don't want to be out of alignment with the, with, with the heart of the Father. It's called the spirit of the law. And the spirit of the law is different than the written law. The written law was introduced because we failed to keep the spirit of the law. I'll give you an example. I got any baseball fans? Any baseball fans in the room? This year, this year's an interesting year for baseball fans because we got some new rules. Anybody aware of these new rules? Yeah, it's been the big talk. Chuck, I know we've talked about it a lot. Got these new rules. Because apparently baseball is taking way too long to, be, to get played. Nobody's attending these games because they're four, five, six hours long, I guess. 
much longer than NBA, much longer than football, much longer than any other sport. And so the attendance is going down. The interest is going down. It's just taking way too long. So we got a rule, probably the most disruptive rule of all of them. There's a bunch of goofy rules that were put in place this year. But, but one that was introduced, which I honestly, I don't even have a problem with. I'm going to tell you why. Was now we have a clock. If you know anything about baseball, it's the only sport that doesn't have a clock. We have innings. There's no start time. There's no end time. It's just how the game's played, and if you, and they're trying to end these games quicker. So now pitchers and hitters, the batter, are now on a clock. They have a certain amount of time that the batter has to be in the box, engaged to the pitcher, and the pitcher has a certain amount of time that he can release the pitch. And you're on a pitch clock, just like basketball has a, a clock, a shot clock, right? Football players, they have a clock that, that tells them that you have to get the drive off, the playoff in a certain amount of time. And so now baseball's introduced this clock. Well, the rule would not have to have been put in place if people honored the spirit of the rule. But we got major leaguers that want to stand out here doing all this goofy stuff with their batting gloves and their bats and taking all this time walking around and pitchers doing all this stuff. And then they're taking, you know, minute, minute and a half in between pitches, taking way too long. I love the way one guy put it. He said, look, I don't understand what the problem is because the only thing that we cut out is non-game time, non-game playing time. The only thing we eliminated was when nothing was happening anyways. We got slow. They, 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 they did studies. They went back. We're playing the game now at a pace that they were playing in the 70s and 80s without the rule. Are you understanding the example? We ought to be able to use these things, honor these things, operate this way in the kingdom of God without the rule. We shouldn't need a command that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. That should be the spirit of the citizens that says, I want to honor that. We shouldn't need a rule that says, do not murder. We shouldn't need a rule that says, do not steal. We should understand the heart of the Father. But when we have gone away from the heart of the Father, now we have to introduce a written rule when it should have just been, Father, what do you want? Father, what do you see? Father, what's your purpose? Father, what's your plan? Father, how do you want this done? And so the law is to get us back to aligning with the heart of the Father once again. Why do I say this? Because if we're not careful, then we'll do like some of these umpires are doing in the game. They aren't acknowledging the rule with the spirit of its intent. The spirit of the rule is to speed the game up. But now some of these umpires are using it in, in, in ways that there, there should be an understanding and so now what we'll do as believers is we'll take the law and we'll start beating people over the head with it. You did, you did, you did, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't. Rather than understanding the spirit of the rule, uh, the spirit of the law was not to just create a bunch of people that are just robots, just manufactured to just follow. I'm just following orders, just following. No, it's my heart is aligned with the Father. It's to help you value the things that the Father values. It's to help you gain a, 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 a standard that the Father has placed. 
We need to get back to the spirit of the law, not just the law in and of itself. Remember, we started this whole thing with Matthew chapter 15, where Jesus' disciples were approached by religious leaders that said, why do your disciples transgress the age-old tradition of washing your hands, a ceremonial, a ritual of washing your hands before you became a religious law-abiding practice for people that didn't even know the heart of the Father. And Jesus responds and says, well, why do you, by your goofy age-old traditions, dishonor the command of God? Mm. Notice he still said that there's commands to be living according to. But the problem is, is you don't know the heart of the Father in the first place. You've, you've made this about just following rules and keeping certain laws. You have drifted away from the whole intent and the purpose of why the laws are in existence in the first place. You don't even know my Father. And the reason why I know that is because you're trying to crucify me when I'm literally the representation of God in the flesh here among you, walking among you, and you want to kill me. He addresses this many times. Go read Matthew chapter 23. Jesus got in the face of these Pharisees because they could abide by a rule, but they did not have the heart of the Father. That's what causes you to drag an adulterous woman out into the middle of the road, and rather than wanting to see reconciliation, repentance, and restoration, You'd rather see her killed, embarrassed, made a mockery of, until Jesus says, well, any of you that has a sin, you cast the first stone. So we gotta be careful with the law because it'll make us religious. And then we'll use it to call out others, become judgmental, right? This is probably one of the number one things that the church gets accused of today by unbelievers. Now, holding people accountable to the word of God, that is, that, that's our role. If we see a, bo- a, a brother fall, it's our job to what? It's our job to restore such a one. Notice the aim is to restore, not condemn. So I'll address it, but I'm addressing it so that we can turn from it. Okay? So we need to understand this about the law. We need to understand. And the other thing about law is law was designed to dictate the culture. To dictate the culture. But we see that flip-flop today, don't we? Culture dictates laws today. We're seeing it happen in our country. If it's accepted by the people, tolerated by the people, normalized by the people, pretty soon it'll become law by the people. Today, we're, we're, I mean, you know, much of our constitution, much of our rights and freedoms in this country, much of what we acknowledge even just on a morality base, a moral level, is all being turned upside down. We are designing and creating laws to allow immorality. Huh? It's getting real quiet in here all of a sudden. 
It's not that way in the kingdom. God's law will never bow to what we want to accept or tolerate. It won't work. You know, my wife and I, we, we were just talking about this a few weeks ago with a, a video that we saw, a, a, a pastor that, uh, if you want to call him that, was up on a stage talking. Just, I mean, it almost infuriates you. It just gets you, because you're just misleading so many people. Because your message of acceptance, you know, we want to, ex- in, in, in light of acceptance, why does anybody accept responsibility? If we're going to accept something, accept responsibility for your actions. Accept responsibility for what morality looks like according to the word of God. I mean, I've gotten asked this more than I can count over the last, well, really over the last 12 years of what our church allows and accepts. And you know where I'm going. I don't even have to say it. And I told an individual just recently, I said, look, we will accept your attendance, but we do not accept the lifestyle. You are more than welcome to sit in our seats. We would love for you to, because unless you get an environment that preaches truth, how can we expect you to change? How can we expect you to, any of us in here, Goodness, if, if, if we were eliminated from walking in the building because of our activities, none of us could come to church. It's counterproductive. But what's the expectation when you come and you sit and there are inconsistencies with the word? Not to be petted, not to be agreed with, not to be accepted. To be confronted and said, mm, I got to get that in alignment because my father does not have a value for that. All of us face this. Not just homosexuals, fornicators, angry people, bitter people, offended people, worried people, anxious people, fearful people. Man, I want the word to challenge and confront someone and say, man, you got to get that in alignment. If you don't want that, you're missing out on the transformational power of the word of God. You're missing out on its capacity to redeem your life. You're missing out on its ability to make you a new person. Old things are gone. The old, the old is gone. The new has come. It's the capacity of the word to transform someone's life. You can come as you are, but we don't leave you as you are, right? We know this message. We know this word. So this is the value of the law. The law doesn't accept. You know, and, 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 and we've, we've said this before. If you want to know my opinion on the matter, I will not give it to you. Because my opinion is worth about as much as yours is. Nothing. Just in case, just, just being clear, it has zero value. But I will tell you what my king says. I'll tell you what my king thinks. I'll tell you what my king has decreed because his way is the best. His way is the best way. 
And so I choose to align with his plan and his purpose. And that's by accepting his law, okay? So that's uh, the, the word is the law. Psalms 119, let's look at these verses real quick. Psalms 119. Verse 11, I consider your word to be my greatest treasure. I treasure it in my heart to keep me from committing sins, treason against you. This is in the Passion Translation, but we know this verse, the New King James, I have hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Keeps me from committing sins, treason. Verse 12, my wonderful God, you are to be praised above all. Teach me the power of your decrees. I speak continually of your laws as I recite out loud your counsel to me. I find more joy in following what you tell me to do than in chasing after all the wealth of the world. I set my heart on your precepts, pay close attention to all your ways. My delight is found in all your laws and I won't forget to walk in your words. I'm going to tell you right now, our ability to abide by the law is determined by our ability to remain in the law. Come on, guys, there's laws that we aren't aware of in in our own country because it's just not something that we recite, retain, remain in, think on, rehearse. It's important for us to know the laws, isn't it? It's important to know when the speed limit goes from 65 to 35. That's important. That is an important thing to know. So this is David writing. He says, I've hit your word. I've treasured it. I've valued it so I can keep the standard that you have set for us. He says that I, I, I find more joy in following what you tell me to do than in chasing after all the wealth of the world. I love that. Number two, spent a lot of time on law. It's probably the most important one that we'll hit on. That's why it's number one. But number two, his word is our constitution. Our constitution. Remember, we're looking at this from a kingdom lens. This is a government. This is not just a religious practice. It's not just Christianity. This is the kingdom of God. His word is our constitution. This is what a constitution is. I'll say it a few times so you can write it down. The king's covenant with his citizens and his kingdom. A constitution is the king's covenant with his citizens citizens and his kingdom, which reflect the aspirations and desires of the king for his kingdom. Which reflects the aspirations and desires of the king for his kingdom. A constitution is a king's covenant with his citizens and his kingdom, which reflects the aspirations and desires of the king for his kingdom. At the end of the day, this is what it is. The constitution is what declares to you what your rights and privileges are as a law-abiding citizen. It's what belongs to you. Now, if the enemy doesn't trip people up in the law side of things, This is where I see a lot of believers get tripped up. They don't know what belongs to them. They don't know who they are. They don't know what what is rightfully theirs. They don't even know who their king is, who their God is. The word of God declares all these things. 
The word of God declares what belongs to you as a law-abiding citizen. And Now notice the Constitution protects law-abiding citizens. We've got a constitutional right to bear arms, don't we? But not everyone gets to bear arms. There are those that have been restricted from that constitutional right because they were not a law-abiding citizen in some way, shape, or form. If you want to enjoy the blessings, as I said other, as I said earlier, then you have to follow the commands, the laws of God. But it's so important, just as important as it is to know the laws, it is important to know your constitutional rights in the kingdom of God. Knowing that healing belongs to you. Knowing that provision and blessing belongs to you. Bless going in and bless going out. You know what I love about uh, God's interaction with Adam in Genesis chapter 2? I can't remember how many times he told him, this is yours, this you can have, this is where you can go. And then one time he says, do not eat. We make a bigger deal of the laws when we are missing out on all the things that belong to us. And this is a, is a privilege to be in the kingdom of God. It's a privilege There are privileges, there are benefits, there are blessings. Yes, it's sacrificial. Yes, it's laying down my life. Yes, it's taking on his life and laying down. But man, laying down my will is always to my benefit because now I gain his plan for my life. Not a plan to destroy you, not a plan to restrict you, not a plan to limit you. He says, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. A plan to prosper you. A plan for good and not for evil. Come on, you serve a good God. You serve a God that wants the best for you. The best life is in the kingdom of God and even more so in the will of God. I watch people daily compromise their rights and their privileges because they're outside of the will of God. No, in the will of God is all that you need. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the right standing with the governing authority. And what? All these things will be added unto you. Man, when people get mad at believers because they're blessed, that's so sad. That is so sad. Now, what the believer does with it, that's, on their, that, that's up to them. We've got to be good stewards. I can tell you right now, and look, I grew up in the 90s. I grew up with televangelists. I grew up with people that compromised and manipulated the preaching and teaching of the word for personal gain. I understand that. So did Samson, by the way. Every chance he got, he manipulated someone. Every chance he got, he used every skill and the anointing and the Holy Spirit being upon his life for personal gain. But to throw the baby out with the bathwater and and to start saying that God wants us depraved, God wants us struggling, we don't even learn to trust God until he gets us to depravity and having nothing, you don't even know the heart of the Father. You don't even know what the Word promises you. Let Let me put it to you this way. The wealthiest people that have ever walked this planet are in that book right there.
The world doesn't even know riches compared to what King Solomon had. He is the wealthiest person, this pl- and he's in the Bible, guys. Abraham. <laughs> Do we need to talk about how much he owned? Talk about what all he had, what he ruled over, what he governed, what he had. I mean, he, 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 he's the one that instituted out of the heart with no law. Says, I'm going to bring 10%. We got people that struggle with tithing today, the, the, a, a law, because you don't believe in what the constitutional right belongs to you as a result of keeping the law. No, we need to know our rights and our privileges. Jesus knew what belonged to him. Paul knew what belonged to him. Paul got in a situation legally where they were about to beat him for the umpteenth time. And he said, are you about to, I don't want to mess it up. He was what? Roman citizen. Because of his citizenship. He said, oh, wait a minute. Hold on. We, we, if you don't know what belongs to you, you don't know what belongs to you in this country, you're going to miss out on a lot. We got to know what this book promises us. We got to know what this book declares over your life. See, with Psalms 91 is the reason why I didn't get worried in 2020. And you can joke about it, and you can laugh about it, and you can say, you know, call me whatever you want. But Psalms 91 promises me it'll fall to my left and it'll fall to my right, but it will not come nigh my dwelling. It promises me with long life will I satisfy thee and show you my salvation. It promises me. You gotta know what the word of God promises you. you gotta know what your king promises you. A, a, a king, again, going back to the best interest, the king's best interest is its citizens. The citizens reflect the goodness of the king. You don't say he's a great king if the citizens are poor and debased and broken and struggling and sick all the time and don't have enough to provide for themselves. You're going to look and say, who's ruling these people? Who's lording over these? Who's governing these people? No, he's a great king that wants great things for his citizens and has much at his disposal. You should never meet a challenge from a position of lack. You should never meet a financial opposition or financial struggle or financial issue wondering how am I going to come through. Your king has it all. And the great thing about a kingdom is the, in, in the kingdom, the king owns everything and he brings it to you as resource to let you use it. That's how kingdoms operate. I'm just stewarding over it. So it's easy for me to give. It's easy for me to be generous. It's easy for me to tithe. It should not even be a question for any believer of giving 10%. He asks for 10%. He lets you keep the other 90%. By abiding by the law, 
the constitutional right. You know, it promises us that he will rebuke the devourer for your sake. What does that mean? That means that he literally stands guard over your stuff, watching over it. We don't talk about that a whole lot. But how in the world do you think the Israelites wandered around a wilderness for 40 years and not one shoe wore out? Not one person got sick. You know, what's interesting, in the midst of all their grumbling and their complaining, they knew how to give. Because when Moses took up an offering, in this is slaves now, slaves. He had to tell them to stop bringing. We've got too much. I don't know, I've never, I, I, I've taken up one offering where I said, we've got enough. Y'all remember last year when we raised the down payment for this property. I said, guys, stop giving, we met it. We can give towards something else, but we've met that goal. We've met that designation. It's the way it should be. Because I recognize this, it doesn't belong to me anyways. I'm a steward over what he's placed in my care. If he tells me to give it, I give it. If he tells me to sow it, I sow it. If he tells me to use it, I use it. It's all for the glory of God. Amen. So we need to understand our constitutional Rights. The Constitution is a covenant, and it's a contract. And you have two of them. You have an Old Testament and a New Testament. They tell you what rightfully belongs to you. Number three, in the kingdom of God, his word is a foundation. Y'all getting something today? Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Romans 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing. And it says that hearing comes by the word of God. The word of God is the foundation that everything is built on in the kingdom of God. It is what gives you the capacity to even operate and believe in faith. The, uh, the Passion Translation reads this way. Faith then is birthed in a heart that responds to God's anointed utterance of the anointed one. Faith then is birthed in a heart that responds to God's anointed utterance of the anointed one. The message reads it this way. Before you trust, you have to listen. But unless, quite, unless Christ's word is preached, there's nothing to listen to. It's the foundation upon which everything starts. If you are trying to walk by faith, speak by faith, believe by faith in an arena where you don't know the word of God on a situation, you have no foundation to build on. You have nothing to believe in. The Bible tells us that the church is to be the pillar in support of truth. What is that truth? The word of God. The word of God is strong enough to be a foundation. It's strong enough to be a pillar to uphold something. It's strong enough to be a, a, a support that remains immovable when everything else is moving. The word remains the same. What good is the word if it's a moving target? What good is the word if it falls at the first crisis or struggle you engage in in life? No, the word of God is fixed, immovable, grounded, 
The Bible tells us that the word will remain the same yesterday, today, and forever. It will not fade away. And it's proven to do so. In Mark chapter 5, you don't have to turn there, but in Mark chapter 5, you find the, the woman with the issue of blood. And before she acted in touching his hem, it says that when she heard about Jesus, it was what she heard, it was the word that she heard that built faith within her heart that then moved her to action to say, if I touch, I will be made whole. Hearing the word, hearing the word, hearing the word creates the capacity upon which faith can be built. And if you're not in the word, if you are not uh, uh, consistently maintaining devotion in God's word, then your foundation has holes in it. Your foundation is shifty. It's got cracks. And the enemy wants to build, he, he wants to bring cracks into your foundation so that when something tries to stand on it or when you try to stand on it, it cracks underneath. It, 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 it gives way underneath. But the word is to be a foundation. Number four, his word is a guide. His word is a guide. Psalms 119 verse 105 tells us that the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. The Passion Translation reads it this way, truth's shining light guides me in my choices and decisions. The revelation of your word makes my pathway clear. Notice that the word is given both for correction and direction. It directs me, it guides me, it leads me. And it also has the power to adjust when I'm off. It has the power to tweak. It has the power to uh, reroute, if you will, if I'm on the, on the wrong track or being misled. And see, when the, when the word of God becomes the governing counsel in your life, the number one voice, the, 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 the final voice, the final say in your life, then you can't be misled and redirected and rerouted. But the problem why most of us end up so confused, the problem, uh, the, the, the reason why uh, we, we are so you know, cloudy when it comes to direction in our life or where we're supposed to go, when we're supposed to do it, how we're supposed to do it, is because we are entertaining voices that contend with the word of God. Almost every single time, Someone comes to me and they are, oh, we don't know about this. We don't know when this, or it's either one. You, you just haven't gained more clarity and revelation by the spirit and you need to press into that. Or you've got too many competing voices in your life that is confusing when God's making it abundantly clear to you what to do. It's just the truth. We entertain way too much. And then we wonder why when I read the word or when I hear the word, I don't know. There's too many voices competing with one another. There's too many voices in contention. This is why we've got to strip it down and say, no, his word is the final say. And I said this last week, if you don't have a devotion to the word of God, you can just about forget, about forget hearing the voice of God. 
Why? Because the Holy Spirit only speaks in line with his word. John chapter 10 tells us this. John chapter 10 and verse four, and when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. It says, why? For they know his voice. How do you know his voice? You get familiar with his word. If I'm unfamiliar with this, the Holy Spirit can speak clear as day and I won't acknowledge it because it doesn't sound familiar. He goes on to say in verse five, they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. We've asked this many times, haven't we? Who is the stranger and who is the shepherd? It's whichever one you've become familiar with. For some people, Facebook is the shepherd. Their best friend is the shepherd. The following is the shepherd. The shepherd is who you are familiar with. The stranger is the one that you're not familiar with. We read this verse and we think automatically the shepherd is Jesus and the stranger is the devil. Not the case. Some of us are more familiar with the devil's voice than we are with God's voice. And we wonder why we are so confused every time the... Come on. I need to be familiar. If it's my guide... And I promise you right now, the Holy Spirit will never lead you outside of the will of God. Perfection. Perf- I mean, absolute every step. I mean, there are times I can look back in my life where I've completely missed it. And I knew I was not following the voice of God. I wasn't following the word of God. I w- but there are times I can look back and I can see every single, I mean, minute details, guys. Almost down to the minute we're in alignment because I acknowledged and became familiar with his word and his voice. It'll save your life. It'll absolutely save your life. It's a matter of life and death for some of us. But how do I recognize and respond to his voice? I gotta be familiar with his word. Number five. Lastly, his word is life. Worship team, if y'all go ahead and make your way here. His word is life. Matthew 4, 4 tells us, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We live because he speaks. I said we live because he speaks. This is where I always seem to end up when it comes to valuing the word of God. You can talk about laws, you can talk about constitutions, you can talk about, you know, it's it's the guiding light in our life. It protects us, it keeps us. But guys, if we don't treat the word of God as the very thing that keeps us alive, we're going to miss it. You know, I get asked a lot as a pastor. I want to read the Bible. How do I, how do I start reading? Where do I go? I always let them know, you start by just doing it. Because by doing it, practicing it, being devoted to it, 
You'll watch. You will gain a value for it. It'll well up on the inside of you. It's just one of those things. You just have to do it. Without a value, without a love, without an honor for the word of God. Y'all know that at this church, we value the word, the authenticity of the word, the simplicity of the word, not adding to, not taking away. What does the word say? You know that. But it opens up the door for everything else in your life. Everything else that you're chasing for, running after, believing for, you want to see, it all starts with, I love your word. Your word is life to me. If all I had was your word, that would be enough. The King Solomon, he wrote it this way in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. This is what he says in verse 22. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. The Passion Translation says it this way. Then as you unwrap my words, they will impart true life and radiant health into the very core of your being. You know, the word of God has the capacity to keep you spirit, soul, and body. Health to your bodies, health to your life. But you have to see it as a life source. You have to see it as nothing will keep me. Come on, we, we, we keep saying it. But you make sure you at least eat Three square meals a day, physically. But for many believers, this is the only word content they get. This is the only word content they get. And people worry about how long the preacher goes. Put you on a time limit. Are you being too hard? Are you going too deep? Are you staying too surface? I'm not here to appease you with my words. I'm not here to please you. I'm here feeding you the very thing that brings you life. I'm here giving you the one thing that matters the most in your life. That's not devaluing everything else, but everything else runs off of your value for the word of God. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to build you up. We're also here to correct and tweak and adjust. We're here to admonish. We're here to edify, strengthen. The word of God either forms a new belief within you or strengthens a belief that you already have. It's always doing one of two things. It's got to become a life source. It's got to be valued. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what you're going through. If you have the word, you always have enough to get out, to get through. 
we've got to have an honor and a value for the word of God. Amen. Father, we thank you today. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.